Hello and welcome to A War of Religions, Episode 8, The Battle of Dru. Last time, we saw the Huguenot army in Provence defeat the Catholics at Saint-Guil in September of 1562. A few days later, they defeated Joyeuse near Montpellier, lifting the Catholic siege of the city and expelling all the royal forces from the region. On September 22nd, while the Huguenots and Catholics prepared to fight near Saint-Guil, the Prince of Condé signed a treaty with Queen Elizabeth of England, promising the Huguenots money and supplies. The Queen championed the new religion in France and claimed that she wanted to support her fellow Protestants. However, Queen Elizabeth had several more strategic reasons for wanting to support the Huguenot rebellion. Firstly, she worried that the rise of the Guise faction would bring France closer to Catholic Spain and feared an alliance between the French and Spanish against Protestant England. Even more importantly, Elizabeth was still angered at the loss of Calais. If you remember all the way back to episode 2, the Duke of Guise had captured Calais from the English during the wars of Henry II, and as far as Elizabeth was concerned, the city was still rightfully hers. She hoped that supporting the Huguenots would put her in a better position to retake Calais, and struck up a deal with Condé, who was happy to receive any help he could get. The deal was struck, and Elizabeth sent 3,000 English troops across the Channel to occupy the Protestant city of Le Havre. Condé ordered the governor to withdraw to make room for the English, and he complied. England was now one of the many countries that had sent armies into France in response to the chaos, including Spain, the Papal States, the Swiss, and a handful of German princes. With the English now in the city, the governor of Le Havre now went to Rouen. Rouen was the political and cultural capital of Normandy, and one of the wealthiest cities in France. Whoever controlled the city controlled the region, and the riches within. King Charles feared that the Huguenots would soon also hand Rouen over to the English, and send an army to seize the city before it was too late. At first, the siege did not go well for the royal forces. The Catholics tried to bombard the city, but they didn't have enough artillery to do any significant damage. They then turned their eyes to an easy target, the fort of Saint-Catherine, which overlooked Rouen. The king's army arrived on September 28th and laid siege to the city. The royal army consisted of 30,000 men and was commanded by Antoine de Bourbon, king of Navarre and marshal of France as well as the brother of the Prince of Condé. In command of the defense of the city was none other than the Count of Montgomery, the very man who had killed King Henry II in the jousting accident, all the way back in episode 2 of this podcast. The royal army saw the formidable defenses of the city and knew that a direct assault would be suicidal. However, they saw a weakness to the city, a hill outside the walls called Mont Sainte-Catherine that overlooked Rouen. With possession of the hill, they could bombard the city, but there was one major problem. The hill was fortified with the Fort Saint-Catherine. Thus, the royal troops turned their attention to the fortress. On September 30th, Montgomery himself led a charge of 200 cavalrymen into the royalist trenches around the fort, causing a rout in which many of the Catholics abandoned their positions. The Huguenots, satisfied with the damage they had inflicted, fell back into the safety of their defenses. Determined to take out the menace before being defeated again, the Royalists opened fire the next day on the fort with 52 pieces of artillery. Cannonballs tore apart the stone walls, 
and an assault was ordered to storm the fortifications. After a bloody struggle, the fortress fell to the Catholics, but the cost in human lives was tremendous for both sides. By the time the fortress was captured by the royal forces, most of the fort's leadership was either dead or in critical condition. Among the wounded was the governor of Le Havre himself, whom I mentioned earlier. The siege dragged on for much of the month of October, and on October 16th, Navarre himself went on a tour of inspection of the Huguenot defenses. He inspected the walls of the city, and taking advantage of being far from camp, he used the opportunity to relieve himself. While he was urinating on the wall, an arquebus fired from the Huguenot fortifications. Thankfully for the King of Navarre, the bullet did not hit any vital organs, but lodged in his shoulder. His doctors brushed it off as a minor injury, but he was removed from the city for recovery. With Navarre off the scene, the Duke of Guise took control over the situation at Rouen. With the fort taken, the royal army turns its attention to the city itself. The Catholics sent terms of surrender to the city, hoping that they would see the hopelessness of their situation and sue for peace. A letter then arrived to the royal camp from the defenders. They would not surrender the city as long as the crown continued to persecute the Huguenots in the realm. With attempts at peace thwarted, the royal army had little choice but to move forward with force. On October 26th, Cannons opened fire on the walls, bombarding the defenses the whole morning into the early afternoon. Then, an assault team was sent to fight their way into the city. The battle was fierce, but the Catholics fought vigorously as more flooded into the streets. The assault lasted two hours, and according to a report from the Parlement of Paris, the king only lost ten troops. Montgomery sensed that all of his resources had been exhausted, it was only a matter of time before the king's troops captured the city. He knew that a price had been set on his head for treason against the king, and feared what awaited him if he fell into the hands of the enemy. He boarded a galley and sailed out into the channel, hoping to reach England. He quickly discovered that French ships threatened his escape. His galley opened fire, and after a brief combat, escaped the royal ships into the channel, bound for England. The other officers whom he'd left behind in Rouen were not as fortunate, and were hanged by the royalists. The Prince of Condé received news of Rouen around the same time as he had heard that a royalist army had defeated the Huguenots in Aquitaine. Despite the drop in morale among the Protestant forces, Condé decided that now would be the time to take the offensive, aided on by the arrival of 7,500 fresh troops from Germany. Knowing that the royal army was camped outside Rouen, overseeing the final days of the siege, he began a rush from Orléans to Paris with his troops. He sacked the city of Corbeil that laid between him and the capital, and then made way for the suburbs of the great city. With the Protestant plan set in motion, Guise ordered for a hasten back to the capital. Meanwhile, the Prince of Condé was somewhat worried about the loyalty of his troops, a heavily mercenary army who had not yet been paid, and allowed them to sack the suburbs of Paris as payment. Condé hoped that this would satisfy the desires of his soldiers for pay, as well as act as a power display in front of Paris to scare the court into suing for peace. On the road to Paris, Condé received word that his brother, the King of Navarre, had finally died from his shoulder wound on November 19th. This news only further motivated Condé, who tried in vain to claim his brother's title as King of Navarre and Lieutenant General of the King. With Navarre dead, Condé knew that Guise could seize more power from himself with less competition in the court.
On November 28th, Condé arrived under the walls of Paris. The city looked much the same as the last time he'd seen it in March, with the drawbridges drawn up and the gates sealed. He ordered an attack on the trenches in a suburb of the city, trying in vain to lure the Catholic garrison out of the capital. Fear struck the hearts of the city as the Huguenots stood within sight of the walls. With the Catholics refusing to bite, Condé ordered his cannons to line up, and they bombarded the sea walls. The city's defenders returned fire, and the artillery battle raged for the next two days. Finally, on December 2nd, Catherine agreed to negotiations with the prince. The queen knew that Spanish troops were on the way, and tried to drag out the negotiations as she stalled for reinforcements. She exited Paris with the Duke of Montmorency and a few others to meet with the Prince of Condé, the Admiral of Colony, and other Huguenot leadership in a windmill outside the city. The Prince laid down his terms for peace, that the Protestants in France must have the right to worship without being hindered, all foreign armies must leave the country, and that the Protestants would not lose their weapons, properties, or lives for the practice of their religion. Negotiations dragged on over a few days as Catherine continued to stall. Meanwhile, in the city, dysentery plagued the capital, leaving many dead, including the president of the Parlement. Finally, after several days, Catherine's stalling paid off, and troops arrived from King Philip II of Spain. With the arrival of reinforcements, the Queen Mother called off negotiations and prepared for a battle. Conde, seeing himself played by Catherine, knew that he was now outnumbered. To make matters worse, his troops were growing angry at still not having been paid. If early modern history can teach us anything, it's to always pay your mercenary army. Condé saw no other option but to withdraw from Paris and march north to meet up with the English troops in the Havre. Early on December 10th, the Huguenots struck camp and marched toward the town of Saint-Arnaud. He knew that the royal army under the command of the triumvirate trailed close behind, and planned to maneuver around them to return to seize an undefended Paris. However, the Admiral Colony strongly disagreed with this strategy, fearing that it would leave their army cut off from help to face the triumvirate alone. Thus, the two generals decided instead to march toward the city of Dreux, where they received reports they could find reinforcements in the city. These reports would turn out to be false. The royal army, which was better trained and better led, saw the Huguenot advance toward Dreux and ventured to beat them there. They quietly followed the Protestant forces, and by the evening of the 18th of December, the two armies were only six miles apart, with Catholics barring the Huguenot advance into Normandy. The royal army numbered around 1,400 infantry and 2,000 cavalry, with the Huguenots possessing 8,000 infantry and 4,000 German cavalry. These armies are three times the size of those we have seen in any engagement thus far, making this the first full-scale battle of the war. At dawn, on the 19th, Condé, who had minimal intelligence of the Catholic position, viewed an attack as unlikely and prepared his artillery for the day's march. The army began its journey towards Chateau Neuf, but by 8 a.m., the prince received alarming reports from his scouts of Catholic advance. He then swung his army around and prepared for an attack. The royal army was soon in sight, and both sides lined up for battle, facing off against each other over the battlefield. Condé arranged his defenses into two lines. In the front line, he placed his heavy cavalry, which would bear the brunt of the fighting. 
1562, the days of glorious knights charging in the battle was long in the past. But heavy cavalry was still a formidable force to be reckoned with on an open battlefield such as this one. Behind them, he placed a line of infantry, which would act as an anchor for his battle lines. During this period, a battle would usually begin with skirmishing down the enemy, probing for a weakness. However, this did not happen at Dreux. The two armies stared at each other for two hours without firing a shot. It had been a century since a battle of this scale had taken place between two French armies, and both sides felt uneasy about killing Frenchmen. Around 1 p.m., seeing that the royal army would not attack, Condé ordered his troops back 200 paces to the safety of their artillery. The Catholic army followed them from a distance, but still refused to attack. Then, the prince ordered his cannons to open fire, and a brief artillery battle began. The Huguenot cavalry charged forward into the front lines of the royal army, under the command of Saint-André and the Duke of Guise. The Protestant cavalry hit hard into a group of Swiss mercenaries, and heavy fighting broke out between the two. The Swiss fought bravely, but their lines were crumbling around them. The constable of France, the Duke of Montmorency, seeing that Guise and Saint-André would soon be consumed by the cavalry charge, advanced to support the center. The field was put into chaos. Horses charged in every direction, and all commands were drowned out by the shots of pistols. Montmorency had his horse killed from under him and himself wounded, only to be taken prisoner. The Admiral Coligny describes, quote, The first charge, winning six pieces of artillery, breaking their infantry and cavalry, and taking prisoner the Monsieur le Constable, after killing a great number of Swiss. End quote. The entire Catholic front line collapsed, except for the Swiss, who rallied together to form a new line. They were abandoned by their cavalry and infantry, and several hundred Huguenot arquebusers swarmed on them and fired volley after volley, but the Swiss continued to hold. It was only after a charge from French cavalry and lancers that they began to fell back. Victory was in reach for the Huguenots. With the front line collapsed, and their fellow member of the Triumvirate captured, Guise and Saint-André advanced toward the center with fresh troops. By this point, Condé's cavalry had advanced to silence the royal artillery and captured their baggage train, leaving the Huguenot pikemen unsupported on the field. Condé tried to rally his cavalry to support the infantry, but it was too late. They began an orderly retreat to regroup, when a bullet hit the shoulder of Condé's horse. His horse lagged behind as the Catholics approached, and the prince was taken prisoner by the royalist troops. With the prince of Condé in Catholic captivity, the Huguenot army turned into a general rout. However, Coligny, the admiral of France, succeeded in taking control of the Protestant forces and rallied the troops for a final charge. Coligny later wrote that, quote, what was good for not only preventing the course of the victory, but also turning in a pitiful rout, as the army was weakened and the cause that the artillery could not guard itself. But this would notwithstanding, by a singular grace of God, following the command of the prince given to me of commanding this army in his absence, I rallied suddenly much of the French and German cavalry, and seeing them approach for a third charge, three large battalions that the constable had expressly reserved for the final effort of this battle, I went to them in front of such kind, and after having fought longly, the enemies were rekindled well before, and there, with several other gentlemen, the Marshal of Saint-André was killed, one of the chiefs of the Triumvirate. 
and Monsieur de Montbron, the son of the constable, similarly occurred what one informed us of. Moreover, the Lord of Guise, strongly hurt in two places, that many held him for dead, of which I am still not yet affirmed. Unknown to Coligny, Guise was not in fact dead, and the Royalist troops managed to outflank the Huguenot cavalry. The Admiral knew that they would be outfought and sounded the retreat. The Huguenots withdrew as the sun began to set, and the battle was over. It was victory for the Catholics, but a costly one. Accounts have the death count between five and 8,000, making it one of the bloodiest battles of the 16th century for France. Among them was the Marshal of Saint-André, the first member of the triumvirate so far to be killed. With Saint-André dead, and Montmorency in captivity, the Duke of Guise now had complete control of the royal forces, and had the Prince of Condé in captivity. Now all that remained was a march on Orléans to snuff out the Huguenot Revolt once and for all. Word of the Catholic victory arrived in Paris on the 20th, and was met with celebrations and public processions. Finally, the city was safe. Next time, we will see the royal siege of Orléans and the conclusion of the First War of Religion, but not without great tragedy for the Catholics. We will then discuss the uneasy ceasefire that arose and the artificial peace. Thank you for listening. Our featured source for today is a brief discourse on what occurred in the battle given near the city of Dreux, the Saturday 19th of the month of December, 1562 written by Admiral Gaspard II of Coligny, December 19, 1562.